Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Good morning again. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, we've been talking the last several weeks about what it means to expand, God king, to expand God's kingdom. And our call to ministry, our call to the mission of going to those who are far from the Lord, far from Christ, and doing our part to help them move into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there was a song out in the 80s, and I know that's really dating me, but uh, when I was thinking about this passage, this song kept rolling through my mind, and it, it was... Uh, from uh, a guy named Rockwell, and to my number, to, to my memory, he only has one. He was like a one-hit wonder kind of guy, and it was his one hit was "I Always Feel Like Somebody's Watching Me," and Michael Jackson helped him sing that song, and that's probably the only reason they got noticed at all was that Michael Jackson helped him sing the song. But I've always thought about that phrase in light of who we are as followers of Christ. There is always someone watching us, and rightly so, rightly so. That we may not have asked for it, we may not ask them to watch us, but the truth of the matter is, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, we should be giving them something to watch. That's the point. That's the point. It's not that they're watching us to criticize us, they're watching us because we're so different, or we should be. Just like we watch people, you know, when you, when you go into a place and, and you encounter someone in the store or you encounter someone at a restaurant and they are behaving so differently than everyone else in the room, what do you do? You watch them. You watch them. If, it could be funny, it could be serious, but you're just watching because they're not acting like anybody else is acting in the room. And to some degree, that's what you and I should be doing in this world. We should be behaving and living our lives in such a way that people would look at us and say, man, they're different. They're different. And so I want us to think about that this morning because our, our behavior in the world and our attitude in the world and how we interact with the world should be in such a way that, that people would watch us and, and if we can't win them over, at the very least, they would look at us and say, well, I can't, I can't really accuse them of anything. They're not really part of the problem. I may not agree with their solution. You know what? I may not agree with the solution of Jesus Christ, but I can tell you his followers are not part of the problem. Is that too high a standard for us to reach for? That the world would look at us and say, at the very least, 
they're not a part of the problem. At the very most, man, I would like to be like them. And I would say, thank you for the amen. I felt by myself there for a moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the only one in the room that feels that way. So, so here's, here's the thing. We have been charged to win them over. But we do not win them with our politics. We do not win them with our debates. We do not win them by force. And you're gonna see that in the passage that we're looking at this morning. And I personally find it to be a very challenging passage. And you might too. It comes out of 1 Peter And we're just going to read the whole passage, and then we'll take some time to unpack what it's saying. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter wrote this. He said, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Pagans are unbelievers, people who, who don't follow Jesus Christ. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. There's a lot of that in our world, isn't there? Ignorant talk from foolish people. Unfortunately, we get engaged in those conversations sometimes. Sometimes that happens. We're not above it. And he says, live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Well, there's a lot in this. A lot for us to look at. And honestly, I could spend a couple of hours on this. Take a deep breath. We're not. But there's a lot in this, and we're just really going to be scratching the surface on it this morning. But if we're going to win people over, there's some things that Peter brings out in this passage, some that you and I are going to look at and say, absolutely, absolutely, we should be like that. And then others we're going to see, we're going to say, I don't know how we do that today. How do I do that in today's world? So let's look at it. What are the keys to winning people over is Peter's talking in this passage. If we look at verse 11 again, we're gonna go back and kind of almost look at every verse individually. He starts off, dear friends, and let me stop right there and say that's a, that's a bad translation, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm using the NIV Bible. There, there are other translations that I, I think get this a little bit better. It really, the word is beloved, It means children of God. It's it's a little more intimate than dear friends, okay? Uh, In our vernacular, the way we talk today, when when we say dear friends, it's like we're just starting a letter with an acquaintance. 
Uh, it, it's a very deep affection. Peter is saying, in essence, he's saying, children of God, the beloved, the, 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 the ones who belong to God. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. There's two things we need to know about who we are if we're going to win people over, okay? One, we must know that we're the children of God. All right, when he says, dear friends, that's what he's saying. You are the children of God, which means, um, listen, God, God loves everybody, right? We know this. Uh, he loves the entire world. But he has promises and commitments to his children that he doesn't have to everybody else, just like we do with our own kids, right? I mean, I, I love every student and child that comes to Grace Bible Church, but my commitment to them is different than my commitment to my own kids, right? So God in the world operates much the same way. He loves everyone, but he has certain commitments that he has made with his children that aren't applicable to everyone else, unless they come into that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we are the beloved, which means that because he loves us differently, two things should happen. One, we should be obedient to him because he loves us. Out of, out that, that love that he gives to us should motivate us to be obedient to him. And here's, here's the real kicker. When his obedience, when he asks us to do something for him, and we have reservations about that, we have reservations about being obedient. What would happen if I obey him? It is his love for us that allows us to trust him even when we have reservations, or at least it should be that way. Does that make sense? Do you follow what I'm saying? That's, what that, what, that's what's all packed in that word, dear friends. God loves you so much, you should obey him. And if you have reservations about obeying him, he loves you so much, you should at least trust him and obey him. Because he loves you. He has commitments to you that he doesn't have with the rest of the world. So that's who we are. But not only are we his children, we are refugees in this world. Peter uses some interesting words when he says foreigners and exiles. You see, this place, this world is not our home. As children of God, this place is not our home. This is very challenging for anyone to understand, to grasp and hold of if you haven't left the United States. If you have spent your entire life inside the boundaries of the United States, you have no idea what it feels like to be the outsider somewhere else. And folks, we are to be outsiders in this world, not insiders. And that's what Peter is referring to when he says that you are foreigners and exiles. When I was in uh, Uganda this year, so something happens when we're around people who are not like us, it becomes easy to criticize them, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever noticed, let me just tell you we're all like that, whether you agree with me or not, that when we are with people and someone enters our group that's not like us, it is very easy to be critical of them because we don't know where they're coming from. So when I was in Uganda this past year, uh, before I left to go on my trip, I was out doing some weed eating in my yard and I got into some 
some poison ivy and it got on my hand and it didn't break out until I got into Uganda, okay? And so I had this poison ivy on my hand and in particular, it was on my ring finger, and, and it was all around my ring finger, and so it was irritating to wear my wedding band while I was in Uganda. So I took it off because it was, it was making things worse. And so here I had uh, my wedding band off, and I was with all of these other people who I'm not normally with, teaching them God's word. But I'm the outsider. I'm not the insider, okay? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not who they're with all the time. And, and whether we admit to it or not, we judge people who are not like us. We're trying to figure out who they are. And that's what they were doing with me. And one day at lunch, as I was sitting there eating lunch, and I didn't have my wedding ring on, this Sudanese pastor looked at me and he said, are you married? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, you know what? It's our custom that when you're married, you wear a wedding band so that people know you're married. Are you here just to hit on our women? <laughs> Guess what, folks? We can be just as critical of people who are different from us. He didn't understand where I was coming from, what was going on. I'm on, I'm on his ball field. He's not on mine. Do you follow? And we can be just as critical. The reason I point all this out is that you and I should be living such different lives that people look at us and say, why are they like that? And why did you do it that way? Why, why, why did you respond that way? People should be looking at us like that because that's how we look at foreigners and exiles. That's how we look at refugees. Why? We look at them and say, why did they dress that way? Why do they live that way? Why do they do it that way? They're not doing it wrong. They're doing it different because they came from some other place. They're, they're not like us. And I use that as an example that the world should be looking at us and saying, they're not like us. They're different. And it's the difference that will win them over. We're not supposed to be an echo of the world. We're supposed to be an alternative to what's going on in the world as followers of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing that we have to remember. We have to know who we are. We are children of God, and we are refugees in this world. And, and that doesn't make it easy for us to be influencers, but it does make us easy to be seen if we're doing it right. The second thing I, 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 that, that we need to look at in, in this passage is that um, if we're gonna win people over, we must know what we are to do. And Peter deals with this uh, beginning in verse 11. So we're gonna read part of verse 11 again and, and, then, and then go into, into verse 12. So what are we supposed to be doing? Peter says, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So two things. One, we are to wage war against 
personal sin. Folks, personal sin. We, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to wage war against sins among other people. Personal sin. We are to wage war against that. Abstain from sinful desires. It means that we have a sinful nature. And if we don't push back against that sinful nature, we disqualify ourselves in representing Christ. We disqualify ourselves by, by not being different, by being like everyone else if we don't wage war against our own personal sin. Until you and I understand, listen, the greatest obstacle you and I have in this world is ourself. It is not the people out there who are disobeying God that you and I need to focus our attention on. It is me. It is you. It is personally my personal war against my sin. And when the world sees that, we stand a much better chance of winning them over. We stand a much better chance. Wage war carries the idea of an ongoing military campaign. Wouldn't it be great if we could just have war one day and it's over with and the sinful desires are gone? It doesn't work that way. Ongoing. And what's crazy, what I'm learning, what all of you already know, some of you are learning with me, is that as you move through life and you go through the different, different seasons of life, the war front changes. And you just have to keep fighting this campaign against our own personal sin that's waging war against our soul. That word soul is an interesting word. It's the part of us that makes up who we are. It, 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 is, um, it involves our desires. It involves um, our motivations, our thinking, our choices. It involves all of that. And, and here's the thing. A soul that makes bad choices is a life destroyed. It's a life destroyed. And so this war is against our desires, our motivations, our thinking, our, the very choices that we make. We wage war there. Because that's where the sinful nature is attacking us. Thank goodness the Lord said he restores the soul. You know, you go back to Psalms 23, verse 2, starts off. He restores my soul the way I am motivated, the way I think, the very choices I make. He restores my soul. But we must constantly wage war against our personal sin. And as we do that, it leads us to the second thing we're supposed to be doing, and that is live a morally beautiful life. When he talks about good deeds, good lives, it implies much more than just telling the truth. It, it implies living a life of goodness that people are, man, they're attracted to that. 
They're attracted to the goodness that comes from us. It's not just doing good, it's being good. And it's a morally beautiful life. And he says, it's really interesting because he said we need to be this way so that when the, when the day comes that the Lord visits us. He's not talking about the second coming. He's not talking about the return of Christ when, when he mentions that. He's talking about the fact that as we live on this planet, every person is guaranteed a visit from the Lord. Did you know that? A visit when he shows up and he says, today is the day of salvation for you. Peter is saying that our lives should be so morally beautiful around the people who don't, uh, you know, uh, people around us who don't know God, that our lives would be so beautiful. But when the Lord meets them and says, today's your day to be saved, if you would, if today's the day for you to receive the grace God is offering, that they would look at our lives and say, I want to be a part of that. Does that make sense? I was reading the other day, I just thought I would, I just wanted to share this with you. In another century, in fact, it was in 1805 when America was still expanding and missions activities involved sharing the gospel with Native American Indians. And there was a, a meeting held in Buffalo, New York, where they brought in several different chiefs from different tribes of Indians. And they brought these chiefs in because there was a man there from the Boston Missionary Society who was going to share the gospel, tell all of these chiefs of these different tribes about Jesus Christ and communicate the gospel to them and talk to them about that. And this man, he made their presentation. And when it was over with, there was a chief there. His name was uh, Red Jacket. And this is what Red Jacket said. Just listen to his words. He says, brother, you say that there is but one way to worship and serve the great spirit. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Why not all agree? As you can all read the book, Brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. And these people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again what you have said. And the world is still saying that to us. The world is still saying that to me and to you. If it's so different, why can't you get along? And if, you're, if this gospel message is so powerful, why don't you treat people better? I believe I'll wait and see how your life turns out and see what kind of person you are. Then I'll consider this gospel message that you're talking about. The third thing that Peter brings up is 
yeah, we got to know who we are. We got to know what we're supposed to be doing. And this is probably the one that we're going to have the most trouble with is that we need to know how to interact with authority. Peter says it this way. He uses a word immediately that we hate, submit. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will, look at this, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Then he, he kind of tries to button it up. He says, show proper respect to everyone, Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, I want us to think about this before I dump, jump into this too quick. Think, who wrote this? Peter, right? Peter wrote this. The night Jesus was arrested, what did Peter do in the Garden of Gethsemane? He tried to kill the authorities who were coming to arrest Jesus. So something has happened in Peter's heart. The guy who was willing to attack the authorities the night Jesus was being arrested is now writing a letter to believers saying, you might want to rethink your approach with authority. Peter is telling us that we need to learn to get along with the system without bowing down to the system. Submit yourselves to every human authority. It means submit yourself to the institution, but not necessarily to every individual law. That's, that's literally what the words mean. Submit yourself to the institution, but you may not submit yourself to every individual law. And we find this through the Bible. We find examples of this through scriptures. One of the best examples is Daniel. Daniel, there was a law set out you know, kind of to, given to Daniel in his circumstances, him and his friends, uh, they were captives of the Babylonian empire, which was a godless empire, a pagan empire. They did horrible, ungodly, evil things. And the law was, the rule was given to Daniel and his friends that they should only eat certain foods. And those foods were a sin against God. And so what did Daniel do? Daniel, with respect, went to, his, to his, the person that was in charge of him and said, serve us this. And if we're not doing better, we'll, we'll submit to the rule. But the point was is, is that he didn't go and flip off his leader. He didn't flub his nose at him and say, you're an idiot. What are you, you're, you're, you're driving. No, with respect, he broke the rule. 
and left it in God's hand. He still submitted to the institution, but he broke the rule. Peter did the same thing. Peter and, and the apostles, after Jesus was arose, uh, after he uh, arose and, and ascended into heaven, and Peter was preaching, he was arrested. Him and the others were arrested, and they said, "You cannot preach in the name of Jesus." And Peter, with respect, looked at him and said, "Listen, I, I, I've got to do what God's asked me to do, and He's asked me to preach. You got to do what you got to do." I got to do what I got to do. I'm not here to overthrow the government. I'm not here to change the government. I'm not, I'm not here to try to make it a Christian government. I just know what God has asked me to do. And, and with respect, I, I can't do it. And I'll keep preaching. That's a different Peter than was in the garden the night Jesus was arrested. That's a different Peter. And, and so the world is watching us, and so, and so when they see something happen and, and, and they see Christians respond in a way that doesn't show respect to the institution. Listen, we, we gotta honor the institution. We gotta honor what God has set up. But I get that there are times that individual laws may impose upon us that we have to look at it and say, you know what, I can't follow that law because to follow that law means that I would be disobeying God. So I respect the institution and I understand the institution has to do what it's gotta do, but I have to do what I gotta do. And I humbly do it in the name of Christ. And that is so hard for us to do in our current situations. I think about when we started construction on the IWC right over here, when we started doing that, guess what? The government immediately stepped in. We had codes we had to follow. We got a certain amount of fire extinguishers we had to put up, certain exits, certain things we could do and can't do. All these codes that they started, listen to me carefully. They had every right to do that. They don't have a right to tell us what to teach over there but they have every right to tell us how to build a building and codes to follow. And, and so here's the thing. When we as a church submit to those codes, that doesn't mean we've watered down the gospel. Not at all. Is this making sense? And so we gotta figure out how to flesh this out in our own lives so that we might win people over because you know what? They're watching. They're watching. And if they see us acting like everybody else acts when something politically doesn't go our way, are we any different than anyone else? Or what they lump us and clump us together is another political group. We're not a political group. We're the people of God. We're the children of God. So we can't act like a political group. We were not called to save American democracy. We were called to bring the lost to Christ. And that is not a political movement. And Peter, listen, if you understood the dictatorship Peter lived under, 
One of, one of the primary reasons that, that they encountered so many problems is, is, that, that, is that they were being considered a political group. And Peter's saying, we're not. We're not a political group. We're followers of Christ. There'll be certain laws that come down the pike that we can't adhere to. But we respect the institution. I don't know. Does that make sense? So the last thing we have to do is do God's will to silence ignorant talk from foolish people. Listen, this is what is is amazing to me as I read this passage and I think about its implications. What silences our enemies is you and I just doing what God told us to do. That's what silences them. That's That's what does it. And there's a whole lot of other things we've tried to do to silence things. But what does it the best is you and I just doing what God asks us to do. And and in doing this, we win people over. Folks, we are to be different. That's what Peter's talking about. We are to be different. We are to be good in a world that is not good. In a world that, that yes, we, (laughs) there will be times that, that we endure hardship, for being good, but it's supposed to be that way. And this is how we win them over. There's no other way to be a success at this. I want to thank you for joining us online this morning and being a part of this service. I hope that you will come back and be a part of our service next week.